Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Jeremy Goodwin. Before she became a famous performer, activist, and mother to 12 children, Josephine Baker was a girl growing up in St. Louis. Novelist Sherry Jones has a new book out inspired by Baker's remarkable life. Her latest book is called Josephine Baker's Last Dance. It, il it illustrates the St. Louis native's pretty darn exciting life, a superstar on the stages of Paris, an active member of the French Resistance during World War II, a civil rights activist who I learned was the only woman to speak at the 1963 March on Washington. Author Sherry Jones is in town tonight to discuss the book at Left Bank Books. She joins us in studio to talk about it all. Sherry, welcome to the, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. It's delightful to be in St. Louis, Josephine Baker's birthplace. In the week of her birth, her birthday was on Monday, June 3rd. Mm, and I'll say welcome back to St. Louis, by the way, because yes. when you were researching, you spent some time on the ground here, right? Yes, I did. I came in 2015, and um, I had uh, people at the Missouri Historical Society and um, other local historian, historical experts like Dennis Owler, who's a local expert on ja history of jazz in St. Louis, and uh, take me around and talk to me. And um, I, Gwen Moore at the Historical Society gave me a ride in the driving rain to look for all the places where Josephine Baker had lived as a child. Oh, you took the Josephine Baker tour? Well, we did. Um, I had the addresses of all her um, residences from uh, a book that's one of the biographies of her. and. Unfortunately, the entire Mill Creek Valley neighborhood had been torn down, so they're all parking lots and weed lots and things now. Mm. So, Well, I'd like to invite our listeners into the conversation. Do you have a question or comment about Josephine Baker or just about what goes into taking real people from the past and making them characters in a novel? Give us a call, 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can tweet at us, STL on air, or email us talk at stlpublicradio.org. So, Sherry, what did you learn about the, the St. Louis of Josephine Baker's childhood? Uh, well, as I said, the Mil Mill Creek Valley, I'm sure that people, a lot of people know this, but I've been surprised at the people in St. Louis who don't know this. There was a 450-acre uh, area of St. Louis, which is now where sort of next to downtown or part of downtown Market and Chestnut Streets were sort of the central business areas for the Mill Creek Valley, and it went all the way down to the Mississippi River. And uh, there were 5,000 um, families, 20,000 people who were displaced in 1959 when that entire neighborhood was torn down as part of an urban renewal project. And it's kind of sad because a lot of these buildings, even though many of them were decrepit, because there was a lot of poverty in that neighborhood. It was a mixed neighborhood during Josephine's time. I don't know what it was like in 1959, but there were a lot of buildings that could have been beautiful historic buildings if they had been restored. And I know that there were like 43 historic churches torn down too. Mm. Um, but um, the Soulard Market was another place that Josephine Baker as a child loved to go to. She scavenged for uh, food for her family. They were so poor. So she would go down even as a young five or six year old girl and scavenge fruits and vegetables um, from the market and for her family. And then the uh, Union Station, um, she, you know, was important in her life. This is sort of central to the neighborhood, and she and her friends used to play there. She used to climb up on the coal cars and scavenge coal um, from the cars themselves and throw them, throw it down to her friends to take home to their families. Details like that in her time at Soulard Market, where, where, where yeah. do you find stuff like that? 
Uh, there were so many biographies of Josephine mm. Baker. Um, there were like, I don't know, at least a dozen. And I'm sure I've read them all. So, and then there were stories that she told about her own life, but she was loved to make up stories about her did, life. Did she tell a good tall tale? She did. She was the ultimate unreliable narrator. <laughs> If you're trying to write a novel that's historically accurate, it's kind of hard when the subject like makes it up so often. That's a complication. <laughs> and you mentioned a, a vaudeville house on Market Street, the Booker T. Washington. Booker T. Washington Theater. Yes, it was a black vaudeville house on the black vaudeville circuit, which which quite widespread um, all do, around do the country. Do we know if she was known to, to see shows there? She did. She skipped school and basically lived at the Booker T. Washington Theater she spent a lot of time backstage um, hanging out with and helping their performers, and sh they were a big influence on her. The, co the clowns, for example, the comics, she loved the, um, you know, the, the drag queens, they called them, you know, female impersonators at the time, the animal acts, she had a great love for animals. And then, of course, the chanteuses, which would they, that's what they would call them in Paris, the elegant uh, singers, the blues singers like Bessie Smith and Clara Smith, who came here to perform, and they taught Josephine a lot, too. Mm, so if we include Josephine's childhood, she really bridged an era where vaudeville developed into something else, and we got more stage drama that com comes up once we get into the 1920s. Right. And mechanical reproduction of music starts happening and of sheet music. Yes. So she was really performing at a very interesting time. Yes, she was. And uh, also uh, movies, you know, came into being when she was young as well. So uh, even when on one of her U.S. tours, she was performing in theaters, uh, you know, after she had gone to Paris and come back, she was performing in theaters that were showing two showings of the film. And in between, there would be a performance, a live performance. So the theaters themselves were sort of morphing into becoming, going from live theater into movies. Yeah. Do we get, do we get a sense that her, her artistry later on was impacted by what she saw as a child at the Booker T. Washington on Market Street? Oh, absolutely. I mean, especially like the dancing, her dancing and her comic touches. Um, there have been many, um, many, many people who have speculated on specific performers, vaudeville performers who mugged and rolled their eyes and crossed their eyes. And, you know, and then the dances also. Um, she learned to dance, I think, on the streets of St. Louis Market and Chestnut Streets. And they used to have a lot of musicians perfor perform outside. They actually even roll their pianos out onto the sidewalks and play, uh, like at the Rosebud Cafe and uh, where um, Scott Joplin had played. Tom Turpin, um, who um, was a um, the owner of the Booker T. Washington Theater, he was also a a ragtime pianist, and he'd move his piano out in the streets and play. And um, I love these people these would dance are so in the vivid. streets. Yeah, yeah, they would dance in the streets, and they would do these dances like the Black Bottom, the Turkey Trot. You know, um, like so all these wild, um, you know, local dances, and those dances are definitely in her style of dance. So that when she became a famous performer in Paris on the Paris stage. She never followed anyone's choreography. She only did her own thing. And it was this mixture of wild, just all over the place dancing. Her arms and legs were flying all over the place. Her rear end was hitched up. Um, she could do the splits and back up again in a second. I mean, she was a very amazing. athletic performer. Yes. Oh, yes. Very. And by the time when she gets a little older, goes overseas, becomes a star on the stages of Paris. 
what kind of reception did she get from audiences and from critics there compared to here? Well, in the United States, she was she had starred in Shuffle Along, which was well, not she wasn't a star. She was a chorus dancer in Shuffle Along, which was one it was was the I believe the first um, all black musical to play. It was off Broadway. Never made it actually onto Broadway, but it did tour around. And so then um, she played, uh, at, danced in the chorus at a New York uh, nightclub. But then she was recruited to um, perform in Paris at this in this La Revue Negra, the first uh, African American um, review, um, dance and music review, in Paris. And she was recruited as their dancer and comic. And she really wanted to be a singer because she had emulated Bessie Smith and Clara Smith and these other elegant women singers. But nobody liked her thin, high, little girl voice. Um, so she, she was 19 when she went across the ocean to Paris. And uh, when she got there, uh, they decided that um, the, the, the review was too American. It had too much tap dancing. French people didn't like that. And there wasn't enough nudity. So they... <laughs> there wasn't enough nudity. Right. There was the no French. nudity. Right. Yeah. There, there was a tradition in the f- Paris dance halls that the women would appear topless okay. on the stage. And so um, Josephine was sort of coerced. Um, well, very much coerced into appearing topless. Hmm. Um, she was told that if she didn't do what they wanted, they wouldn't send her back on the ship. So she performed on opening night, did her wild dance topless, and the audience went nuts. They had never seen a black woman dance topless before, and also um, there were people who were jumping up and walking out of the theater in outrage. Um, well, her relationship with France was a very important one in her life, and one of yes. one of her more popular songs talks about uh, talks about that the relationship between her home here in the United States and France. And That's that, right. And that song is called "J'ai deux amours." Yes. And we have that queued up. Let's listen to a little bit of that. And what's, what's Josephine Baker singing about here? Uh, she's singing about, J'ai deux amours, mon pays et Paris, means I have two loves, my country and Paris. So that's what the song was about. And she, in fact, would later on obtain French citizenship. She married, she got married and became a French citizen, yes. And because of uh, her experiences with racism, 
when she came to the United States, um, she told people that she changed the meaning of Je deux amours. Um, mon pays et Paris changed from A, it can mean and in French, or it can mean um, is, depending on the spelling. So from my country or Paris. And or Paris. My, my country and Paris to my country is. Is Paris. Yeah. Yeah. Because of racism here. Was she known to ever come back to Missouri? Um, yeah, she came back. She did come back, um, but I don't think she ever performed here um, again in St. Louis. So as a, after she became a star, uh, Josephine Picker was, was not on stage in, in St. Louis. Well, it was because um, in 1951 she came back to do a U.S. tour, and she said she would not perform in any theater or um or nightclub and wouldn't dine in any restaurant or stay in any town that wouldn't let her. I mean, like, she wanted everything to be integrated. Okay. So she she refused to play a segregated house. Yes, that's right. And that's all that was on that's offer what they here had in here. St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, at the time. Right. We do. There's so much from Josephine Baker's life to talk about, but we, we're going to take a, a quick break. We'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Now back to our conversation with Sherry Jones, author of Josephine Baker's Last Dance. Sherry, you have written a series of novels about real people in history. So what are you looking for when you, when you pick a world to, to enter and reimagine? I'm looking for, uh, primarily to this point in my career, I've been looking for women that inspire me, uh, women who have obstacles and challenges in life to overcome and who are able to navigate in a man's world to find their own power. Yeah, mm. and so Josephine Baker very much did that, except she was not so much of a feminist example as an example of an African-American person who was able to do that in the white world. Uh, how did you come upon her as, as the subject for your next book? I, I'm not really sure where I first heard of her. I think I saw her in a movie when I was in my, like in the 1980s, and someone said who she was, you know, just her as a character in a movie. But I was, uh, you know, because Josephine Baker loved to make up stories about her own life, I feel like I should always make up a, like, a really fun answer to this question, like, oh, she came to me in a dream one night. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is I was on the phone with my editor at Simon & Schuster and said, you know, my last two books have been um, medieval books, and I really want to get into more contemporary. Um, and I want someone fun because my last book, The Sharp Hook of Love, was a tragedy. So I said, I want something fun like Josephine Baker. And then I went, bing! Oh, that could be it. So I looked to see if there had been any novels about her, and the answer was no, which was totally surprising to me. But Josephine Baker said And you said were somewhat herself, of a newcomer to her life and times at, at that point, right? Yeah, I didn't know any really very much about her. I knew the banana skirt, you know, I knew she yeah, was a yeah. famous Parisian dancer. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm really interested to hear your, your thinking about that because um, more and more in American culture, there's a conversation about who who should who has the right to tell a story in and come right. in and tell someone's story. And especially when we're talking about a, a historically disempowered disempowered population who has been denied, denied that chance in the past. So I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the idea. If you're writing a novel about someone like a Josephine Baker, um, what sort of responsibility does the author have to really be aware of the cultural context that that person is coming out of? That's so interesting. I've been waiting for someone to ask me that question. Nobody has. So I'm so glad to be able to address it. Um, You know, as a white woman, when I delved into Josephine Baker's life and realized how her whole life was really all about race, I almost dropped the project because I felt, who am I to tell this story? 
But I was already so much in love with her and just felt like I wanted to try my best to do her story justice. And in the process of doing the research, I learned so much about the history of racism, things that you don't learn in school. And I just felt that I, my own eyes were open, that I had been awakened. Um, so I, my responsibility, I thought, was to portray, um, it's one reason I told the book in third, wrote the book in third person, because I can't know what it's like to be a person of color. Um, but I can look on and show how she was affected by the things that happened to her. So that's what I tried to do. And I hope that I've, my book will help to raise people's awareness about the history of racism in the United States, especially, but also in the world. And um, just all the, um, Josephine Baker, her whole life, she tried so hard to get people to come together. And she didn't understand why skin color even mattered. And I've always kind of felt the same way. Although I know that's a person of white privilege speaking, right? Sure. Well, I, th I think the key thing you're saying here is you're being upfront. You're saying, this is not a culture I came out of. I had to go to the library to learn about it. And, and talk to people, right? Yeah. Talk to people of color and listen and, um, you know, and then just do a lot of self-examination too. So, so what, yeah. whether it's, it's this book or another piece of historical fiction, how, what kind of a balance do you have between being faithful to that person's life and just doing what you do as a novelist? Well, because I'm writing about people who really existed, I feel the need to respect them and honor them enough to try to tell their stories as they really happened. And, um, you know, some, I've heard it said that, you know, our lives don't happen, you know, in the narrative arc. Our lives don't happen in stories, but I disagree. My whole life is just one story after another. And every person I know, they're always telling their stories when they talk about themselves or things that happen to them. And so uh, I want to tell the stories of my characters and honor them by being true. Um, the only thing I might make up, I might embellish something. Um, I might, you know, every bit of dialogue is invented pretty much uh, every bit of, you know, the motivations of our characters, we can't really fully know that because we're not them. Um, so those kinds of things are fictional. And, but you know, the, Josephine Baker, I put her in World War II as a spy, which she was, but I put another spy there, Christina Skarbek, who was a Polish, famous Polish spy with the Maquis, sort of the insurgents fighting the Nazis. And she actually didn't come to Paris until two years later. So she was in France, I believe, during while Josephine Baker was here, but she would not have worked with Josephine Baker in Paris. But I wanted there to be another, I wanted the world to see that there were other women involved in the movement. Mm -hmm. And so I had her here for that. That's like the only thing I actually changed um, that I knew wasn't totally factual. And, and it sounds like Josephine Baker is someone who was very concerned with her story and <laughs> how people thought of her and how she presented herself. She totally made up stories about herself all the time. Yeah. Like nobody knew her really. She didn't know who her father was. She said her mother would never tell her who her father was. And so she um, people speculate, historians think it might have been this musician named Eddie Carson, who was a famous dance instructor, or not famous, but he was a local dance instructor and drummer, and he had performed with Josephine Baker's mother, who was a singer. And then, um, but she also said that her father was a Spanish guitarist, 
that he was a white man, that he was a Jewish man. So she made it up depending on the day and her whim. And yeah. you, you, frame, you frame the story you tell with Josephine backstage for what she billed as her last performance? Yes, it was her last performance. Um, you said people didn't believe her at the time. But yeah, that's right. People didn't believe that it was going to be her last show because she had retired so many times. But she had 12 children that she had adopted, and she had to support them. So she wanted to retire, but she had to keep performing. Her last show was a retrospective of 50 years on the Paris stage. And um, she, um, so I, I framed the novel around that last show. And that last show was actually the night she died. And so, um, spoiler alert, the book does end with her death. Yeah. And she performed on, on the night of her death? Yeah, she and the epigraph of the book, you know, it's something that she actually said herself. She said, um, yes, I will dance all my life. I was born to dance only for that. To live is to dance. I would love to die breathless, exhausted at the end of a dance. And that's what she did. Mm, and that, that's, that's an unknown quote of hers? Yes. I would like to die at the end of a dance. Yes. Yep. Yeah. She got her wish. And yes. something that I, I appreciate about the way you tell the story is I, I think it's important for those of us who are in St. Louis to maybe give overdue appreciation to some of the great figures from the past, but also to reckon with why they might not have been celebrated at the time. And to say that, yes, we, we prize Josephine Baker as a local who went off to do great things, um, but to be upfront about the reasons that she, in fact, left. That's right. She left us. She got out as soon as she could. She was 13. And... You know, her autobiography uh, that she started but never finished, it opens with a chapter from 1917 and the East St. Louis race riots when um, white people went to East St. Louis, which was a neighborhood, mm -hmm. black neighborhood, and they set homes on fire. And then when people ran out, they shot them and hanged them from trees. Mm -hmm. um, they came running across Eads Bridge into St. Louis. And Josephine was 11 and she saw that happening from a distance and, and never forgot it. Sherry, thank you for including details like that in your work. We do have to say thank goodbye you. at this thank time. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. This is St. Louis on the Air, St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.